Good morning, everybody. And uh, boy, we've got a, a beautiful day out there for a picnic. Uh, here we are. <clears throat> Another school year has ended. It's the last week in June. And people's attention just naturally go toward vacation time, right? What are we going to do for summer vacation? We love to plan our summer vacation. And uh, this morning, um, we get to talk about that theme. Uh, we're going to be talking about rest and relaxation. In fact, we're starting a new series, and the name of that series is Rest. And so we want to specifically, in this first message, explore the relationship between rest and worship. And if you think about it, uh, there's two distinct kinds of rest. Uh, there's the rest that we've put in a long, hard day. Maybe it was physical labor. Maybe you're like me and you're, you're not up to as much physical labor as you used to be able to handle. So you get to the end of that day and you're just looking for the bed. Where is that bed? I want to just plop down and I am done. Like physical exhaustion is one kind of rest. And I'm sure we've experienced that a time or two. But then there's another kind of rest. There's the kind of rest when you've put together a project, you've worked on it, it's maybe happened over a period of time, and you finally come to the end of that project. And you kind of step back and you say, ah, it's done. And I can, I can just take um, some satisfaction in the fact that that project is done and I can rest from that. That's a little bit of a different kind of rest. I would call that, that's rest due to a project completion. And there's maybe more of a spiritual aspect in that kind of rest than, than the one where we're just physically exhausted. So that's the kind of rest we want to explore a little bit more today. But we can't talk about rest until we first acknowledge its counterpart, which is work. And in a sense, you can't have one without the other. It's kind of light and darkness, right? If darkness is the absence of light, then rest is the absence of work. It's kind of how we define rest. And very often we find that rest and work in our lives are in conflict. There's this, this tension between the two. Now, the worship team introduced us to a new song this morning, and I want to thank them for doing that. Uh, it's a very fitting song for our series, but I want you to focus back on the first lyric of that song. Perhaps you didn't catch it. It might, went by pretty quickly, but the very first lyric in that song says, I'm caught up in your presence. I just want to sit at your feet. And I have to think that the inspiration for that line probably came from the story of Jesus when he went to Martha and Mary's house. Now, if you know the story, uh, they were good friends, and Martha and, and Mary got word that Jesus was coming to visit them that day. So Martha is busy in the kitchen making all the food, right? She's all about the hospitality. Now, some of you women out there, you know what I mean, right? You have somebody coming to your home. It's going to be all about the hospitality. You cannot let down in that area. It's, it's just expected. The problem is that Mary, her sister, is in the other room, and she's just curled up in a ball at Jesus' feet. 
and she's just enjoying his presence without any thought for her sister who's slaving away in the kitchen. And actually Jesus does come down on this because Martha says, do you see what she's doing, Jesus? Like, make her come and help me. That's basically what she says. Make her come and help me. And Jesus says, no, Mary's chosen the better of the two. So that's a classic confrontation between work and rest. And it's a confrontation that you face in your own life. This tension, it comes into play. So we want to try to pull all of this together in today's big idea. How does, how does work, rest, and worship all fit together? Well, here's how I think it fits together. Work is good, and rest is good. God has established a certain rhythm between the two. But rest is absolutely essential to worship. And we can see in the book of Genesis, the very first chapter, we can see this theme start to play out. At the very end of Genesis chapter 1, it says, God saw all that he had made, and it was very good. So in the beginning, there was work. God worked. God worked because he chose to. He worked for the sheer joy of it. The idea that God would have to work to accomplish anything is kind of foreign to us. And the idea that work is good is not one that's even universally accepted. So I'm told, I'm not an expert, but I'm told that in the uh, Greek mythology, there was an era similar to like this creation and innocence era. There's an era where both the gods and the humans, all they did was live a life of leisure, right? There was no work. It was kind of thought of in the Greek culture as like, this is the epitome, right? If we were just all eternally retired and we didn't have any work to do. Even in our Christian culture today, many people think that the reason that we have work is because of the curse of sin. But that's actually not the case. God initiated work among mankind before sin even entered the world. And we can see this in Genesis chapter 2 and verse 15. And it says, The Lord God took the man and put him in the Garden of Eden to work it and to take care of it. Now, this is not only before sin creeps into the world, this is actually before God even creates Eve. So God passes on his work ethic to Adam. Why? Well, I think it's so that we could enjoy work the same way that God enjoys work. After all, we are made in his image. And by the way, that, that sense of purpose and accomplishment that we get from work, that sense of purpose is one of the things that distinguishes us from the animal world. Because without work, life actually becomes monotonous. There's a story uh, that I've heard from World War II, and it tells about these Allied prisoners. They were in a German POW camp. And every day, the Germans would put them to work building these barracks within the camp. 
And, um, you know, they would do their work and then they'd go back. But one night there was an Allied bombing raid and by accident they bombed the prison camp and they destroyed all of the barracks that they had been working on. Well, the next day, the Germans decided that they weren't going to restart the project. They just weren't going to do it. So that day, the prisoners went out and they dug holes in the ground. And then the next day, they went out and they filled the holes back in with dirt. And then this became their routine. Dig a hole, fill it back in. Well, it wasn't too long after that project went away that they began to lose purpose. They actually began to go stir-crazy, and many of them ended up rushing the fence just to get out. And unfortunately, they, they would get shot dead at that point. And the point of the story is that even in a prison camp, the human spirit needs a sense of purposeful work. So in other words, it's always been God's design and plan that we should work just as it's part of God's very DNA as well, just as we see God working uh, in the creation story. And in John chapter 5, verse 17, Jesus actually puts it this way. He says, my father is always at work to this very day, and I too am working. So now that we've sort of established this goodness of work idea, I think we're ready to look at the flip side of that, which is the rest side. And we're going to look at three different aspects of rest in the Bible. First, we're going to look at the initiation of rest. And then we're going to look at the rhythm of rest. And then finally, that will set us up to spend some time exploring the worship of rest, or why rest is essential for our worship. So again, back in Genesis chapter 2, we read this. It says, By the seventh day, God had finished the work that he had been doing. So on the seventh day, he rested from all his work. And God blessed the seventh day and made it holy, because on it he rested from all the work of creating that he had done. So God rests on day seven. Have you ever asked yourself the question, why? I'll give you a hint. It's not because he got tired. One reason might be so that he could step back and enjoy the fruit of his labor. And we don't think of God in, in those terms, but he had just created something marvelous. And he steps back, and he kind of allows himself to take it all in. But another reason I think that he took this day of rest was that he could model the pattern for us. And in this sense, rest is not just sleep. It's not just what we do when we're physically exhausted. And it's not just the absence of work. In other words, it's not just doing nothing. We could think of it more as a leisure time. And on this subject of leisure, I found this quote uh, from a German philosopher. His name is Joseph Piper. And listen to what he says about leisure. 
Leisure is not the mere absence of work, but an attitude of mind or soul in which you are able to enjoy things as they are in themselves without regard to their value or immediate utility. You see, when we're working, we're always measuring and calculating and thinking about how efficient we are or how effective we are. That kind of thinking tends to be dominated by the analytical, the methodical. It's what people have said is left brain thinking, that our, the left side of our brain kind of controls that aspect of it. But when you stare at a great piece of artwork without worrying about its function to do anything but inspire the human heart, well, that's right brain thinking. That's more like if you use the analogy of a car, right? If, if work is putting your car in drive, then rest or leisure is kind of like putting it in neutral. It's not like park, where we don't do anything, but it's just like free to go wherever God takes us. And so we want to build on this definition of rest. And we're going to think about um, this distinction as we get to the third part of what we want to talk about, which how it, rest is worship. But I want to move on from the initiation of rest to the rhythm of rest. So very early on, God tells the nation of Israel that they are to observe a distinct ratio of work to rest. Leviticus 23.3 tells them there are six days when you may work, but the seventh day is a Sabbath of rest. You are not to do any work. Six days of work, one day of rest. And this weekly cycle is still ingrained in our culture to this day. Around the world, people recognize the seven-day work week. Now, there also tends to be cycles of rest around other periods of time. So our daily, we have our daily waking hours and we have our daily sleeping hours. And in terms of the yearly cycle of things, we have our working weeks and we have our vacation weeks. Now notice that it's never a 50-50 balance, right? In, in every case, the working cycle always significantly outweighs or eclipses the resting cycle. And yet there's great wisdom behind acknowledging that we need that period of rest, even if it's smaller than the period of work. And in fact, it's God who thought up this idea. God patterned it for us in the creation account, and then he tells us, this is what you need to do. And what it amounts to is, this is the way you were designed. You're designed to function within this rhythm of work and rest. And so if you deny that, you're going to do harm to your own self. Now, some of us, have no problem with the rest side of the equation, right? We just don't. We just, like, recognize, I, I need this rest. This rest is good. But there's some of you out there, some of you, that for some reason feel guilty when we think about rest. 
Why is it so hard for some people to rest, to respect the rhythm, so to speak? And I think for, for many of you, it's, it's difficult because you're fighting the feeling that to rest is selfish. Or that you're wasting your time because there's so much to be done, right? You look at your schedule. It's like, I have all of this to get done. If I rest, it's never going to happen. So here's something to counterbalance that thought that comes into your mind. And it has to do with the big idea. You remember the second part of our big idea? We said that rest is absolutely essential to worship. Now, God made all of us, part of our design is to work, to have a purpose, to be able to accomplish things that's built into our design. But he also made people with the design for the need to worship. It's also part of our design. And if we never take a break from our work, then our worship is going to be hollow at best. In a very real sense, that's what all of us are here for on a Sunday morning, is it not? We're putting our work world aside so that we can wholly and fully worship God. So I want you, uh, in the end of this message, I want you to see three aspects of worship. It includes acknowledging God's creation, acknowledging God's character, and finally, acknowledging God's care. And with each one of these, we want to note how vital rest is to being able to do this effectively. So let's start with God's creation. Um, This week, I read an article about how uh, there was going to be this planetary alignment, very rare, that if you went out uh, just before dawn, you could look up in the sky and you could see not only the moon, but you would be able to see five planets all visible to the naked eye. Saturn, Jupiter, Mars, Venus, and then way down on the horizon, Mercury. At least that's what they said. So I got kind of um, enthused about this. Um, I texted with my daughter, who's kind of like an amateur astronomer, and I let her know about it. <clears throat> She's up in Iceland. She says, the sun's not even setting here right now, so I don't think I could see it. So I went out Friday morning, and it was clouds everywhere. Couldn't see a thing. Uh, and then I got up yesterday, which is Saturday, which I don't normally get up early, um, but I got up just to see this phenomenon. And I went out, and there was the moon, and it was a very bright, I have to believe that was Venus. I couldn't see any of the other ones. Now, they were there, But I think where we live, there's so much ambient backlight that we can't always get a good glimpse of all the stars that are up there. But have you ever gone someplace remote where we don't have all of these city lights? I remember being up in the Adirondacks and just looking up and it's like, I can't believe there's that many stars. I haven't seen that many stars, but they're all there. It's just we don't always see them. Well, Psalm 19 tells us this. It says, The heavens declare the glory of God. The skies proclaim the works of his hands. Day after day they pour forth speech. Night after night they display knowledge. 
So when was the last time that you took the time to just gaze up at the stars, at least the ones that we can see here, on a clear night, and allowed your thoughts to just drift toward the God who is so big that he created a canvas like that? Well, from the telescope, we can also go to the microscope. And in Psalm 139, we read this. For you created my inmost being. You knit me together in my mother's womb. I praise you, for I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Your works are wonderful. I know that full well. One of the words that keeps coming up in these passages is wonder, wonderful, wonderfully. I would submit to you that if all you do is work 24-7, that you would never be able to write that psalm. You couldn't possibly because you don't stop long enough to observe and wonder about it. <clears throat> to cultivate a sense of wonder about what God has created, you have to stop from your work and you have to rest in the sense that we've been talking about it. And don't just take my word for it. God actually says so right in the book of Job. And I, was, uh, I had never seen these verses before and as I was preparing for this message, I was like, Wow, he actually says it there. Uh, in Job 37, we read this. God's voice thunders in marvelous ways. He does great things beyond our understanding so that all men he has made may know his work. He stops every man from his labor. Have you ever been in one of those total downpours where the rain is just driving so hard that it like just stops you and it's like, wow, I haven't seen this in a long time. Like this is, this is like incredible. I can remember a particular event and it was I think about eight years ago now. And when I told this story in the first service, I saw people nodding their heads. So you might remember this. But it was October, end of October, there were lots of leaves still on the trees, and we had this weird snowstorm. It like snow, heavy snow, wet snow, and the snow piled up on the trees, and the weight of all those leaves and all that snow, all of a sudden, branches just started snapping in two. I mean, big trees, high up, branches just snapping in two. And I went out, and I just looked up and down our street. I was probably there for 15 minutes, just standing in awe, watching these huge limbs just snap and the sound that they made. It was one of those moments of wonder that I'll always remember. So do you regularly take time to hear God's voice in creation? It's there. He's speaking constantly. But we have to pull back and we have to stop what we're doing to take it in sometimes. Or how about God's character? Do you cultivate an appreciation for God based on his character? We'll look at uh, Psalm 19 again for verses 7 and 8, where it says, The law of the Lord is perfect, reviving the soul. The statutes of the Lord are trustworthy, making wise the simple. The precepts, precepts of the Lord are right, giving joy to the heart, and the commands of the Lord are radiant, 
giving light to the eyes. Notice it's meditating on the character of God that revives the soul and that gives joy to the heart. And this happens in your leisure time. It does not happen when you're busy at work. Finally, I want us to see that we need to acknowledge God for his care for us. And we can go back to Psalm 139 where we read this. O Lord, you have searched me and you know me. You know when I sit, you know when I rise. You perceive my thoughts from afar. You discern my going out and my lying down. You are familiar with all my ways. Before a word is on my tongue, you know it completely, Lord. You hem me in behind and before. You have laid your hand upon me. Such knowledge is too wonderful for me, too lofty for me to attain. So this is, this is the language of, of deep worship. And the bottom line is, it's only when you stop to rest that your mind has the time to contemplate God in this manner. And the word contemplate is an interesting word. It means to think profoundly about and at length. You see, there's no substitution for the time. You can't just stop work for two or three minutes and think that God's going to communicate to you in some amazing way. You have to put the time in. And it's only allow, as we allow for this contemplation of God's creation, of his character, and of his care for us, that we can fully and truly worship God. So here's the challenge this week that I've come up for all of us. Now, it's very simple to understand, but I'm betting that for at least some of us, it's going to be a little hard to implement. But together, let's reacquire the rhythm of rest. And so it's this. Will you set aside one hour every day this week to practice worship-oriented rest? Now, it's not like one hour to go nap in the middle of the afternoon, right? That's not what we're talking about. And that would be nice. But I'm talking about on purpose, specifically pulling back from your work world to just give God that time. Now, it could be you have a daily quiet time and that's what you do. And maybe you just need to bump that out a little bit. Or it could be that you decide to go for a walk, a nature walk, and you're going to let God speak to you during that time because that's time just for, for you and him. I mean, it could be that you're on the train and you've got your iPod and you're listening to those worship songs like the one that we sang this morning. Got your eyes closed and you're tuned in. God, show me what you need to show me. But whatever it is, one hour for each day. Now, the, the second part of that challenge would be set aside one day out of each week for the rest of this year. That that day belongs to God and it's a day of rest. Now, that's a little easier to figure out. Because you guys are all here this morning, right? So you understand that we're here to worship God. We've taken time out from our work world. And maybe it's just that, you know, you need to think about the rest of Sunday to make sure that you're really giving it 
to God and his worship. So break up your week on purpose. Spend that day in contemplation and worship of our amazing Lord. And that's a challenge I think that we can all get behind and we can all do together. And I'm looking forward to what Derek is going to tell us next week as we go a little bit further in our uh, exploration of rest. So will you pray with me? Heavenly Father, thank you for setting the pattern early on. Thank you that we get to not only work and feel our purpose and our accomplishment in that, that that is good, but you've also set up this rhythm, this rhythm of rest, and that we need to, to understand that we're designed to both work and rest, and that it's in those rest times, in those times of leisure when we pull back from our work world, that we can really and truly and fully worship you for who you are, for what you've done, for all of the wonderful things that you've created, that you've put into our lives, just to appreciate and wonder and be in awe of who you are. Father, that's our goal this week. We want to catch back some of that wonder that may have been missing from our lives. So help us to do it, and we'll give you all the praise and glory in Jesus' name. Amen.